0: You're listening to the Rugged Legacy Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Putnam. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Putnam, and I'm joined today by strongman Zach Hummel, former coal miner, current gym owner, and just all-around beast and family man. So Zach, thanks for coming on the show, brother. Jeff, what's up, bro? Thanks for having me on, dude. The Rugged Legacy Podcast. I feel
1: rugged and more badass just from being on the podcast. Well, you should. It's a bleeding effect.
0: (laughs) Uh, So you're the owner of Iron Valley Barbell, and you've definitely uh, filled out the whole strongman persona. I've seen a lot of your content, and uh, watching some of your older videos, you you're you're a monster. Um was that some something that you know just you wanted to get into fitness wise and own a gym or was you know the hard labor jobs like being a cold miner and things like that. Um just said, you know what? I'm getting strong. I'm gonna go I'm just gonna keep doing it. And then it kind of developed into it.
1: Yeah, man, that's a great question. So actually my parents bought me a weight set when I was like ten, eleven years old. But naturally you know it's in the basement it kind of was one of those things that I just collected dust and i think my mom used it mostly just like a clothes hamper to hang some clothes on <laughs> but uh my parents ended up separating around the age 12 13 so it's a couple years after that and my mom ended up remarrying and her husband that she remarried my stepdad Dave, he had a full gym set that we used to train people in the basement of his gym at, at his house and then he moved all of his equipment into our house when they moved in together so i had a full gym in my basement um from the age I was like 13, and then he ended up actually opening a gym in town. And so that's kind of how I fell into lifting weights. So I was kind of always around it. And um, I was amateur boxing at the time, too, in high school. So I wanted to hit people harder, so they quit hitting me so hard. Well, yeah. And, and that led
0: to you know more weightlifting and kind of spiraled from there. So, you know, it's, it's interesting you went to the strongman route, though. Uh, a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people go into the pure aesthetic side of it. You know, they yeah, go dude. Into... You know what?
1: It's. I think a lot of that. A lot of the reason why I averted from going the aesthetic route had to do with two things. The first thing was I'm a little guy. I'm only like five foot seven. Um, at that time, I was weight. Way... <laughs> at that time, I weighed like a hundred pounds. You know, maybe and wet. And I just had a hard time putting muscle on and I was always really just I was drawn towards the idea of becoming harder, um, stronger and just like meaner. Like in my town and the mentor I had growing up in weightlifting had served most of his adult life in prison. So when I got out, you know, the only thing that really mattered was when he got out rather, the only thing that really mattered to him was how fucking strong are you gonna be, you know. Uh, kind of that whole persona. And I watched how he conducted himself in our small town, Wallsburg, West Virginia, with 2,900 people.
0: And this guy. It's a big city. He, yeah, it's huge, right? Uh, hey, <laughs> where is- I live, I've got 800. So really? Got to be, yeah.
1: <laughs> One stoplight, no stoplights? we have got a blinker. Nice. It doesn't so work. This- <laughs> so this guy, uh, he he had everybody's respect in town. If not, he demanded it. And, you know, he's like legends were told of the tales of this guy, bar fights and shit. And just, you know, a tough, rugged dude, he'd fit perfect on the podcast here. And uh, that kind of envied that. So I kind of just fell into that route of, I knew that if I wanted to be, you know, respected in what I thought that was at that time through my young, you know, just going into puberty, my testosterone through the roof, wanting to fight all the time. And so I kind of fell into the strength training moment of things.
0: Yeah. I I had that same kind of thing. I'm like you, I'm, I'm maybe five, six and a half, and I'm being generous with a half, but I wear boots, so it okay, kind of helps yeah, out. Like 5'8". Yeah, five, eight, call it. <laughs> yeah we'll, call, we'll call it five eight. You know, everybody's six foot on the internet, though. That's right. And bulletproof. But, uh, and bulletproof. But, you know, I joined the Army National Guard when I was 17, and I was probably like you, 125 pounds, maybe. You know, I was a small guy, but I like the idea that strength mattered because we grew up in the South, and I'm walking around these giant, you know, corn-fed beef dudes, and I still played football in high school. I still went out there on the field with the big guys. I was was always that guy that never wanted to be like, well, he's too small. He's not going to go do it. I was like, Rudy, I don't mind. I'll go out there, and I'll get pummeled, but it's going to be fun. But when I started, uh, you know, after I only did, you know, a few years in the guard, but after that, and I started getting into the manual labor jobs, I didn't care how good I looked. I just wanted to be strong. I wanted to be that little guy who could pick up a pool table on his back if he needed to, yeah. you know, and because we're obviously never going to be the ones that are six foot five, 250 pounds walking around looking like Captain America, you know, right. it, it mattered about being strong, though, and being able to, you know, swing that hammer as much as you have to. And, bro, those those guys, no offense to
1: anybody listening, but the show ponies are a dime and a dozen. Anybody can have abs and look good. Right. Not everybody can be strong. It takes a different discipline and a different level of crazy. When you see someone deadlifting big weights, you see them squatting big weights, you see them moving in big weights, you see them picking up big ass rocks and putting over top of their head. A, because it's crazy and hard to pick up, and B, that rock could snap and break your head anyways. Like, There's a certain level of people who have this certain level of craziness, and those are the people who typically want to pursue themselves in strength. Every time you hear someone say, ah, I don't deadlift because the risk, the risk does not there for me. There, there's no ROI for me. The risk is more than a reward. And I'm saying, you're exactly right, and that's why you always be weak. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that, right? But that is true. That's
0: why you always suck at deadlift. Yeah, um, you know, you mentioned there's a certain level of crazy to it. Now, I've never done it. I've done some crazy outdoor kind of jobs, but there's a certain level of crazy to saying, you know what, I'm gonna go two miles underground and mine coal. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> so th- there's a, definitely something crazy about that. Uh, Most what- definitely, dude.
1: And the people, the people. Uh, you, you notice it a lot with the people you're around when you get underground. How just how crazy these guys are.
0: Yeah, I imagine, um, you know, we were talking before we, you know, we started recording and you were saying you, know, you, you went back to West Virginia because you wanted to be around family. And the first thing you got into was coal mining. Was that just because of the availability or did you, were you drawn to that level of danger? Uh, a little bit of both, actually. So I, I, my first job
1: ever was roofing. And when I got out of roofing, I had graduated high school. I went and tried my hand at the first uh, one semester in college didn't do so well. Failed out of business school actually, ironically enough. And um my buddy was like, dude, they're paying twenty-four bucks an hour to iron work out in Colorado. You wanna come? So it was like, dude, of course. I tell my mom, I'm like, hey, I'm leaving Friday. It was like a Wednesday. I'm like, hey, I'm leaving Friday to go iron work out in Colorado. Twenty four bucks an hour. I said, You can't beat it. She's like, oh, you know, she didn't know what to say. So I went out there and I worked for a couple months out there and You know, I was just really, you know, I was 19, so I'm missing friends, I'm missing family, everyone's in college, you know, having a good time. So I was like, I want to be packing on to be part of that. So when I came home, I was already accustomed to making good money and spending good money. And at that time, I'm, you know, doing a lot of drugs, I'm partying a lot, so I I need to accommodate my lifestyle. So the only thing that really would accommodate that back home is coal mining. There's not a lot of availability for jobs in the Ohio Valley. But on top of that, if you're a coal miner, everybody knows you've got money, you know, you get all the chicks and then obviously, you know, everything else that kind of comes along with that lifestyle. But I am definitely drawn to the more at-risk job or even that, I mean, that's even my training portrays that the more at-risk exercises, you know, every day on my social media, you see people, oh, you're going to hurt your back. You know, it's, I'm always been drawn to the things that are more dangerous because I think it requires a more mental focus and it makes me a better human being.
0: Well, yeah, you know, there's that saying, you never feel more alive than when you could die. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. men understand this more uh, than anybody else, especially men who are actively in these fields or just uh, have that desire to push themselves, which every man should. But men seem to walk the fine line between life and destruction which is why you always see men are the first ones to volunteer for the coal mining jobs or we're the first ones to volunteer to just stand in the desert for 10 hours a day swinging a sledgehammer you know we're the and first that to...
1: that's like we wear it as a sense of pride oh yeah absolutely enough, not... we're
0: prideful for it too like oh i'm you
1: know like there's nothing we literally spent the first 10 minutes talking about the hardest jobs that we had You slinging a sledgehammer for 12 hours a day, you know, 16 pound sledgehammer and me working 1,000 foot of ground. Like we couldn't wait to share those stories with each other.
0: No, because it's similar to uh, like a good handshake between men, you know? If you get that, you know, limp, dead fish handshake, you know, this guy's never really done anything. And you're just like, oh, you know, you haven't paid the price of admission uh, to be one of the tribe. You know that's why that's why we fight when we're younger. You said you got into a lot of fights. I got into a lot of fights. I was, you know, just the other day, you and I were uh, we shared some of the crazy things we did when we were kids. You know, uh, yeah, riding down the you know uh, a country road in western North Carolina, standing in the bed of a pickup truck, slinging river rocks at road signs. You know, <laughs> those things are fantastic to do, but they're risky. Yeah. They're dangerous. But well, we it's wear the those things. Yeah. You have to be able, be willing to put your skin on the line. And it's, you know, when you get around these people too, it's like,
1: I told this to Ashley when I first moved to Indiana, I didn't know anybody when I moved here. So I moved here for a sales job When I got out of the coal mines. I moved here for sales. That's why I got out of the coal mines was to try to try my hand really at what I'm doing right now. And um, so I took the chance. I moved out here. I worked for something company called muscle farm and I wasn't out here, but three or four weeks. And I realized, People are a lot different in the metro area than what they're, I'm, I'm typically used to. And I started oh, noticing yeah. the, the demographic of guys were – and I came out of the, one of the most rugged professions there are. I'm talking – if my boss said something, go fuck yourself, motherfucker. Uh, I just did a podcast with my buddy, and we were ta- he's a coal miner as well. And we talk about how we were in just as many fistfights and, and scuffles underground as what we were in high school. Like it was no thing just to get into it. Like it's a completely different world in atmosphere when you go underground. And so, when I come out to Indiana, I'm at a supplement shop. It's not three or four weeks and and my buddy talks about this. He actually works for works for me now. Uh, he was doing customer service at Muscle Farm at the time. He goes, "We got a call, and this guy goes, "We have your Indianapolis rep. he's trying to fight our franchise owner of the gNC <laughs> so uh, the guy was talking shit to me, so I told the guy to go fuck himself and here I end up getting a call from the president of the company. I guess you're not supposed to talk to people like that in sales, so I learned a lot about sales my first month and
0: <laughs> Yeah, this, uh, you know, I work now in the automotive uh, manufacturing industry. And while it's still a pretty hard job, uh, a lot of it's automated in robotics now. And it's the first inside job I've had, you know, in a while. Mm. But like you said, we used to, if we had problems with somebody out in the field, you know, we'd, we'll handle that shit behind the connex. you know nobody and there's a lot of people right now going to google a connex and see what that is (laughs) but you know we go behind the connex we settle everything and we come back out and it it is a different culture it's 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 also respectable though like i've never been in a fight with someone i didn't shake their hand after yeah and you'll find that people in these cultures whether it you know and i talked to bobby dino about this a while back like the prison culture you know And the the military culture and a culture in like a field with like oil hands or coal miners or uh, manual laborers, you're not going to find many soft people out there. Everybody out there is strong. They're aggressive, and they'll probably punch you in the mouth given any type of excuse. But that's but that's what makes about talk to Max Solidity absolutely yeah, and it's beautiful. It's most definitely the most beautiful, yeah, but everybody there is very polite to each other because they know they can get punched in the mouth for not being polite, so you don't throw down unless you really have to,
1: yeah, and you don't just run your mouth saying to some bullshit, like the stuff that I see on social media uh, especially on Twitter, I'm way more active on Twitter this uh, the past about eight months than I've ever been. Um, I've had Twitter since like 2000, whatever, whenever it came out. Basically, I've had Twitter, but I really just started actually util- utilizing as a business this past six, eight months. And since I've been growing my following, I was I've already had a pretty, uh, been pretty grown up following on Instagram. So I was I'm kind of used to people's opinions, but Twitter was a totally different ballgame when I started seeing how people would respond. And that's when I'm started of recognizing that I need to start taking a step back. I need to focus on not allowing obviously other people's opinions to dictate my emotions and how I'm going to conduct myself because our personalities, this, this blue collar, if you want to call it blue collar culture personality is 100% at war with the opposing white collar, if you will call it.
0: Of course, but they're they're two different species. You know, people try to turn around and say, you know, well, the white collar, one example I use is, uh, you know, modes of currency. You know, we're not even the same denomination of currency you know mm-hmm. as the white collar individuals we're on a different operating level because most people that are blue collar come from this background of honor and not taking shit for being dishonored in, or disrespected in any way you know where we come from you you are polite as fuck or it's war or you get around these guys who are, you know, from the white-collar backgrounds. And, you know, it's kind of like what you see, like, in the typical stereoty- stereotype of, uh, like, the New Yorkers. They just walk around flipping each other off. And, you know, it- it's nothing. That's the culture I was talking about. I don't
1: know if it's white-collar, but that's the exact culture I was thinking in my mind. Yeah. And to them, it's nothing. You know, to us, like, we-, we can't have that. Bro, Jeff, that's why I had – I put this on Twitter, Python five months ago, maybe, maybe it was last summer. And I put, if you flip me off in your car, you should 100% expect for me to get out of my car because that's what you're implying to me. And, oh, it's not yeah. worth it. You got to realize, Zach, it's just not worth it. How if he has a gun and how if he kills you? Like, motherfucker, my my integrity and my character is worth it. I can't walk around with a fucking hole in my soul thinking that I just let this other dude punk me because he has having a bad day needs to learn that he's gonna respect me. If he's gonna simulate like this, he's gonna show me respect. Because I'm gonna respect him. But it also puts it when I'm having a bad day, I don't get to a stoplight and flip somebody else off because I'm also wise enough to know, hey, I've got myself in some situations acting out that I didn't want to get myself in. Cause I'm more aware now because I've been punched in the mouth.
0: Yeah. You know, most people who are quick to jump to uh, you know, insults and fighting words, because fighting words are a thing. You know, it's not just, you know, stakes and stones break my bones. No, no, no. Stakes and stones are usually used in retaliation for the words, you know. <laughs> That's just how that a lot of us are built. And, yeah, you know, it gets mocked by the ones who just don't understand it. But, again, we're not the same species.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we mock them. You know, it's easy for me, you know, the same person who – I like to say this all the time. Oh, you're going to hurt your back. You're just a fucking sissy. Yeah. I love calling people sissies. It's just a little bit nicer term than being a pussy. A
0: little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and again, it's it's that pride that we have knowing that we've done hard shit. And we are arrogant bastards because we'll look at the ones who mock us and the ones who... You know, we'll laugh and look down on the blue collar life and we just, well, you couldn't handle it. Do you think that this culture
1: can be adopted by someone who didn't grow up in it? Uh,
0: Yes and no. I think, I think it's just how you're built and hardwired. You know, it's more of the hardware than the software. Uh, I mean, I guess it could be if you put anybody into it certain type of situation or culture, uh, for long enough, uh, they'll develop and adapt to it. I mean, I guess you see that all the time with guys who come from this white collar background where, you know, words don't really mean anything. Uh, integrity and honor aren't even part of their vocabulary. And then they get thrown in prison because they made a mistake. And next thing you know, they're in gladiator school Hmm. and they either have to adapt or they die metaphorically or literally, But I think it's a yes and no, maybe. I have a buddy. um, Actually, I've
1: met him since I've been in Indianapolis, and I would consider him far more on the white-collar spectrum in relation to the blue-collar. However, now he's in a blue-collar hustle. He's starting up a business. He's grown in the last couple years, and he's doing a phenomenal job and doing a great job of connecting the community here in Indianapolis as well.
0: But what I noticed
1: in him is he has this, even though he comes from this white-collar, Ish, he has a lot of these hardcore blue-collar, if you will, traits. And what I mean by that is he he developed this chip on his shoulder for basically his dad. His dad had wrote his life out for him. You're supposed to be this. You're supposed to do this. You know, you're a doctor or whatever. You know, the hell it's supposed to be. You're supposed to go to this college. You're supposed to do this. So he created this hardcore gritty chip on his shoulder based around what he didn't want what his dad wanted to do and what he didn't want to do and he conducts some stuff with this work ethic and this hustle and this grind and also this character of a blue collar guy so i always wonder that because i haven't met a lot of them a lot of these guys who i i feel like come from more of the leftist white collar whatever you want to look at it like uh kind of culture you are able to actually have this blue collar culture mindset and focus but this guy was one in particular so i think a lot of times it might have to go down to you know picking something that you have a little bit of your chip on your shoulder you can get around people too and you can tell this guy got he's operating at a different frequency than i am it often has to do with that chip they have on their shoulder
0: yeah you know i guess we carry it uh anything from our past uh obviously you know, everybody's read about mine, you know, growing up in the South and then losing everything, becoming homeless and having to live through all of that with a wife, you know, who was pregnant and kids. And now I guess I, I have this chip on my shoulder where I'll get hyper aggressive if that is ever threatened again in any way. You know, if I'm, if you're, if I ever get this inkling that i'm gonna lose everything oh it's fucking war and you know it's it's something that i'm going to fight as hard as i can in any way that i can you know and i guess that's why i'm like hustle hyper now is because i've i've got this chip on my shoulder that i'm never gonna let that happen to my family again yeah it's like dude it's like that's the
1: fuel that's the that's the diesel that you put in the truck right it keeps it moving yeah Dude, whenever I was, I'd been in those particular, like we relate to a lot of those things. I didn't have a family time. I was a lot younger whenever I had gone through. Uh, more of those adversities that I'd faced in my life as far as homelessness and uh, never was homeless but had to heat the house with the stove and never had food and uh, growing up on welfare and food stamps you know being in these situations but when I was there I knew what it was like to be in that particular situation and I knew that in my mind as I was going through it I'm never going back no matter what the fuck I have to do I'm never going back to this situation so it doesn't matter like you said I have this hyper aggressiveness like I'll work fucking sixty hours in a row if I have to work sixty hours in a row. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm gonna do whatever I have to do. You know, a lot of people have never felt what it's like to actually struggle, and you're fucking seeing it right now on social media. It's been the government shut down <laughs> for two or three weeks, and everyone's breaking under pressure. It's it's understandable because not everyone is dealt the same cars, Not everybody's had the luxury of having adversity in their life. And why I say luxuries, there's always something to learn in adversity. I've learned far more from my adversity than I ever will from my accomplishments. My adversity has led to every single accomplishment I have. And the reason I even have a social media channel right now and a podcast and everything I do is all based around the adversity that I was over to overcome. You know, Jeff, you're supposed to be a statistic, bro, just like me. We're not supposed to be on the podcast right now leading people, you know, leading, leading influencers and business owners, this is craziness, right? You're homeless, how in the world can this guy? ever get on a podcast and tell anybody what to do but yet you've built your firm foundation off of that adversity that's what gives you credit
0: yeah and you see a lot of the uh the larpers you know the live action role players you know they're hard asses and they're hard asses until we have a government shutdown and they can't go to work and they're forced to stay in their homes you know so now they're panicking you know and they've never had to deal with anything but what would you say is one reason right
1: now people are panicking most about being at home from what what you're seeing and maybe some of the data that you're collecting is it fear of finances is it fear of self fear of realization and recognition of the person that you're with fear of realizing that i got
0: to work with my kids actually and not to send them to school i think it's more about Uh, Their escape route has been cut off. A lot of people use their jobs. A lot of people use uh, their hobbies as an escape to get the hell away from a problem they either have with their wife, with their kids, their home life as a whole, whatever it is. And that escape route is cut off, and now they're forced to face it. Wow. I've never looked at it through that perspective. You're so right. How many people run away to go to work? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I was that guy. I used to run away to work all the time, and I used the excuse, well, I have to make as much money as possible because I don't want to end up homeless again. But really, it was because when I was homeless, my relationship got shattered with my wife, you know, because obviously, she's not going to have a whole lot of faith in me if I've got us all living in a friggin' hotel room. And I had, you know, the the self-hatred and the shame and all this other and the the self-depreciating attitude. And I used work to escape from it mm. and of course you know as things picked up and i got a steady and stable and all this other again i was able to start rebuilding those relationships but you've got a lot of people who've never really had a reason to rebuild their relationships because you know what i'm busy i gotta go to work she's gonna do her thing kids are gonna do theirs and now they're stuck at home with a spouse and with kids that they don't know they live under Bridge. the same roof and Bridge they don't wrong. know they don't know who they are mm. man i'm telling
1: you that's that's something by the way i appreciate that perspective i was uh that was a perspective i've never looked through so i appreciate that perspective um, something that i've noticed with a lot of the communication that i have with some of my middle-aged friends who have some kids um, are dealing with a lot of those very similar issues. They don't know their kids. You know, I was chatting with this one guy and he was talking about all the stress that he had in his life. And a lot of it had to do with this e-learning that the kids are under and, you know, his wife there and they're, they can't find their family dynamic. And, you know, I stopped him for a second and said, hey man, you know, recognize your kids are your biggest blessing. That's why you had three of them. You wanted more kids because they were your biggest blessing. And he's like, "Whoa, I didn't, when I had the kids, I didn't know that school was going to be closed. I said, oh, You have kids just to be able to give them away, man. I said, you need to rechange your perspective. You got to rechange how you're looking at this particular situation. Cause I hear a lot of parents and hear me out. I'm sure. Cause I don't do the e-learning stuff. Ashley does at her home. So it's nice on me. Cause I'm
0: not the most educated one, right? (laughs) I'm not patient enough to homeschool my kids. My wife with, you know, this innate nurturing side that she has, you know, she handles all of that. I'm, I was trying to help my daughter earlier. And I'm just like, babe, come handle this. I can't, you know, I'm going like, to teach you how to climb off. a tree, honey. I, we go outside and climb some trees, you know, like I gotta go. I gotta go talk to Zach. You do this.
1: <laughs> uh, but, you know, I know there's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress that parents are under, but I think more parents are starting to recognize now, man, did I have kids? Because I truly wanted to have kids. Am I married because I truly wanted to be married or am I married because culture pushed me into it? Am I married because my family kept on putting pressures on me? Am I having kids? Cause grandma kept asking me when we we're going to have a baby. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people are having to open their eyes up to a lot of the choices and decisions that they made in their past. And then they're going to have to like begin to realize how to cope with those and also how to see them through new perspectives.
0: Yeah. And you know, I like that about, uh, a lot of your content, everything I've seen from you pretty much is family oriented. You've always got your family involved. Uh, you guys are doing like these, you know, family workouts in the gym. You know, Everybody's involved. And have you found that you're enjoying that more because you don't have to send the kids to school? Oh yeah. See for us,
1: I, I, I love our particular situation. Um, Because crew is so, Ashley had crew in a a marriage prior to me. So we have split custody of crew. So A, the first thing is the only way that I was able to make our relationship work five years ago was the fact that she didn't have full custody of him. So we have 50-50 custody of crew. So that was the very first way I was even able to find myself into being a stepdad. I never want to portray myself like I'm this ultimate father figure, right? Um, Right. The way I was able to kind of find myself into this particular position is I love mentorship. And it just so happened that we organically grew our relationship and my relationship with Crew. So over these years, that has Crew and I have been developing our relationship, we have something very unique and original. So our relationship now, he's he's at eight years old. I'm like the coolest guy in the world to him. So at this particular time for us, it's excellent because when we have crew, he really wants to, you know, he's into like wanting to be active. He's into wanting to be outside. He's kind of into all the things that I already enjoy doing. Or maybe it's because that I've kind of helped you know, mentor him to enjoy these type of things as well. You know, the physical fitness and staying healthy and being outside. So this whole quarantine has actually been great on us because we both, Ashley and I both are entrepreneurs and essentially works in the salon two days a week. And the other day, she works for herself. So we're used to being home. We're used to the summers on having him all the time in the summertime and all that time. So we kind of just fell right into like, hey, sweet, we can uh, you know get these extra products done. And we went down downstate for a couple of, I went downstate for two weeks just to hang out as a family. So that's been, it's actually worked out really good in our particular situations. But like I said, a lot of it was because of all the pre-work we did and also the situation that I'm in.
0: Yeah. With, uh, Melissa and I, you know, all of our kids are ours, you know, all nine of them. <laughs> <laughs> nine? I didn't know you had nine kids. Yeah. I've got nine. There's only one girl though. Oh, wow. Which I'm really glad it's not the other way around. Right. Yeah. I don't know how I'd survive with eight girls and a wife. Yeah. I, I would just take the boy and we would live outside. We get the shit. Yeah. Yeah. If that was the case, we're just going to live outside in a tree or something. But, you know, for us, we've, we've been working on getting things to where we're more, more self-sustainable and less reliant on public schools and this, and and the other. Um, My 14 year old son, uh, he came out as gay two years ago and When that happened, he started having a lot of problems at school, kids picking on him and all this other. So we pulled him out. We started homeschooling him. Everything settled that way. And our goal was to get all of the kids homeschooled uh, by the end of 2020. Oh, wow. Well, aside from the two oldest that are still in the house, my two oldest kids, my two oldest boys, uh, they're both grown. They're living out in Texas doing their own thing. Um, But the two that are in the house that are the oldest – uh, my 17-year-old and my 16-year-old. A 17-year-old graduates in May, so he's done. And then my 16-year-old's graduating in December, so he's done a half a semester early, and he's planning on joining the Navy. And so we were only going to focus on, you know, 14-year-olds already homeschooled, and then we just have the 13, the, 12, uh, the 11, uh, the 7, and the 5, and just get those homeschooled. Well, when the coronavirus shutdown happened, we got forced into homeschooling everybody just mm. immediately. And it's such a better dynamic with the kids be able to get up, you know, six thirty seven o'clock in the morning and chill, tidy up their rooms, eat some breakfast, sit down at the table at 9 o'clock, do work for three hours, and they're done, right? right? Much rather than we get them up at, you know, Six o'clock in the morning, get them dressed and ready. They're out the door by 645, get on the school bus, go to school, come home at 330 in the afternoon. Then they've got schoolwork and all this other. But it's brought us closer together as a family with all of us home all the time. Oh, I could imagine.
1: Most definitely, especially with you being home now, too. And it's awesome that your wife, that you guys are already starting the homeschool things. Are you guys putting out any like tips and stuff right now for people who are in that particular room, Cause I've seen a lot of people struggle with the
0: whole homeschooling. Uh, we are working on starting a, uh, a project where we're going to do uh, a parenting guide. Nice. But that comes after I finish the book that I'm working on now. So it might be awesome. a little, so it might be a little bit, but what, what's the current book you're working on? It's called leading your wife, a man's guide to becoming the patriarch. But a lot of people aren't going to like that, but that's okay. I don't need anybody okay. to like me. Hey, remember?
1: I remember a buddy of mine. He's he would he'd fit right in on this podcast with us too. His name's Dillion, and um, so what Dillion does is he collects porta potties. So basically, he's a guy who drives around, cleans the porta potties, gets the porta potties, whatever. Shitty job, right? Yeah. But I Dillion like is one of the most hard nosed motherfuckers I ever met, and I sat down with him and we just jived. He's one of the. One of the first friends I had in Indianapolis that I'm like, okay, this guy's a lot of like my buddies back home and me and him are hanging out one day at breakfast and I'm pitching this idea to him. And I'm like, but listen, man, I just don't think people are very similar to what you said. A lot of people ain't going to like this. He looked me dead in the eyes. and He goes, then it's not for them to like, and it like changed my perspective for the rest of my, literally my business flopped upside down. I go, you're exactly right. Like everything I do doesn't have to be for everybody. And I've always subconsciously known that and even conducted myself a lot of times in that manner. But when it comes to like drawing revenue and leading and how I want to portray myself and the legacy I want to leave, I sometimes get caught up in these hiccups of trying to please people. And I'm like, because at the end of the day, I love having friends. Like you posted, I'm a hugger like, dude, I, they won't let me greet at church because I'll hug and kiss everybody. I mean, I literally love people. I love to please people. I love to be, able to be able to just offer. I love to have my friends over. These things really get me going, but to sometimes at a fault. So I got to stop back and say, hey, listen. And I think a lot of it has to do with my past life. I was completely opposite where I was constantly trying, you know, get in fights and be that hard-nosed guy. And then I kind of switched to this side and now I'm finding myself somewhere in the middle where I'm just like, hey, I'm not going to please everybody and that's totally fine. But I also want to make sure I don't ride that line of constantly being a dickhead. And then I'm on this other line of constantly being like, well, I also don't want to be a pushover.
0: Yeah. And you being in the fitness industry, I know you get a lot of pushback on what your workouts are, what kind of workouts you do, nutrition, because there's a lot of experts out there and a lot of them have very valid you know, points and ideas and science-backed data to support their positions and what they do. But, you know, you were talking about earlier, you have those people that'll sit there and scream, oh, you're going to hurt your back. You know, you're doing, you know, Z presses with a kettlebell sitting down on the grass or you're lifting this 250-pound rock over your head and standing on one foot while you've got a rolled (laughs) ankle. And, you know, you got, yeah. And you've got all these people who are going to, challenge everything because you have this image i mean the aesthetic works perfectly because you, you've got the beard you've got the long hair your jack the tattoos everywhere and you you're a you know just to look at you're a meathead hmm. you know and then people would have that impression of you and so that kind of helps the people not thinking you're going to be a pushover you know but then you're, but then you bleed out with, you know, your, your cheesy smiling and hugging and just laughing and having a good time, you know, um, has that been something that you've seen a lot of lately now that everybody seems to be getting into the fitness realm? A lot of people kind of pushing back on you trying to cut their own niche.
1: Oh, the fitness space. And this is why I don't, I don't go on fitness podcasts or anything. Cause I think most fitness people are fucking douchebags. And that's just kind of where, where my, my thought process is. I just don't think like a lot of these people think. Um, a lot of these fitness guys spend way too much time and way too much effort on this shit that really just doesn't matter. Um, and with that being, I've just been around this space long enough to know what works, what doesn't work. Um, I'm, I've been around long enough to know that everything can work if it's applied correctly and your nutrition and your rest all match. Um, you no know, things if we're talking about fitness for a second, this is all that really matters. Making sure that your energy outputs match your energy input. So if you're fucking eating 300 calories a day and trying to train like me, it's not gonna work. If you're not eating carbs and trying to train like me, it's not gonna work. No matter how hard people wanna say, you're not deadlifting 600 pounds for 16 reps but not eating carbs. Why? Because no one's ever done it. That's how I know why. So there's like, a lot of things are more black and white in the fitness industry than what the fitness industry actually wants to make. But since you can, well, oh, there's this one case of this one guy who once did this, I'm like, listen, I'm not talking about Hercules. Okay. I'm not talking about that one case that I'm talking about the masses and what works for the 99.9% of people. So with that being said in the fitness space, I do see some pushback. Um, okay. You talk a little bit about my, my persona, right? How I look. I also think that's why I'm more loving than people notice is because when people typically look at me, I don't want to ever act like I'm an intimidating guy, but usually when people kind of, I, I get, I get the opportunity to meet. Hundreds and hundreds of people from all over the United States who come to our gym, obviously, when this stuff's not going on, right? Who visit our gym and come hang out. And with that, like, people are always, man, I was real nervous to come meet you. I just didn't know. And I was just like, and I think that's also why I try to put on the persona of like more loving and more kind because more people now have heard my story, at least people who are seeking me out. Or even in the gas station, you know, I get eyed up a little bit. People look at my tattoos and, whatever. So I feel like that's also why I'm a little bit more on the, the, the loving side and the, you know, that whole, uh, cause of my persona, you know,
0: kind of how I visually look. Yeah. You know, you, you are, you're a hundred percent right with the people, you know, in the fitness industry. A lot of them are just fucking douchebags, um, with the, uh, my way is the right way, but they're just religiously keto or religiously paleo or religiously carnivore and all this other. And, you know, I, I think more of the fitness industry and i'm glad and and it's refreshing that i haven't seen this side from you um they have this very weird relationship with food it's fucking weird dude it's it's weird yeah i mean it's it's like it's like the religion it's like their god they worship it like I'm in pretty damn good shape and I just eat, I eat whatever the hell I want. Last night I ate so much freaking pasta. I thought I was going to die. I couldn't breathe.
1: Oh bro. You I know? saw you putting that shirt on with them fucking boulder shoulders.
0: <laughs> Listen, I hey. went to go, dude, I put my
1: ankle up there. I'm about broke my ankle again. I said, I can't do this right now, Jeff. I'm about to break my ankle. <laughs> yeah.
0: But you know, it, it's, it's nice to see someone in the fitness space that, it just looks at it as, if it works, do it. If it doesn't, don't. And leave it at that.
1: Yeah, you know, in a lot of the things that people are, like, okay, getting a little bit closer to my realm of what I'm in inside of fitness. I'm in the strength realm of things, performance enhancing, right? Becoming the best, most strongest, most agile, fastest athlete I can become, and my athletes to become. Now, when we get into strength sports, it gets into a whole new level of egotistical human beings, and it comes to these men who believe that their method is the end-all, be-all method. And if you don't do my method, you're an idiot. Uh, you don't know nothing. I've done and studied and programmed out so many different methods over the last 15 years, of 14 years of strength training. It's ridiculous. And guess what? All methods have been able to work. Some methods are just more effective than other methods. The most effective method always is this. If you're trying to get stronger, the only thing that matters is what is weak. Whatever is weak needs strengthened. If you have the understanding of what weakness development exercise is going to strengthen your particular weakness, you will become stronger. The quickest example I can give that would be relatable to your listeners would be, let's say you're deadlifting and your hips come up three to four inches, and then you start to deadlift on a bar and your lower back always hurts. All you need to do is more hamstring work and more hip hinge work. So if you do good mornings and increase your hamstring work, you won't have that issue no more. If you feel if you always have knee pain when you're squatting, you need to do two times the amount of hamstring work than what you're doing quad work. You do those two things, your knee pain goes away when you squat. There's no reason to have knee pain when you squat. The reason you have knee pain when you squat is because you don't know how to squat and you don't focus on your hamstring development. But people on social media will complicate the fuck out of that. I can just give someone four, I give them three different exercises and tell them to do it for four weeks. They come back, their squats up twenty pounds and their knees don't hurt no more
0: yeah, you know, and I'm not a squat guy, I'm not a squat guy, I don't have any cartilage in my knees, so squatting's not going to happen for me, you know, outside of, like, body weight squats, Um, mainly because it's bone on bone, and it just hurts like shit afterwards, but, you know, it, there's things that I can do to supplement that, and it's very simple, you know, leg presses are fine, and, you know, calf raises are fine, and glute work is fine, and, Lower back work is fine. I can do all these things. Just that one movement kills my knees because it's bone grinding on bone. But I just, I I like the fact that it's something that those won't work for me, but there's simple alternatives. And you've got those guys who are in your space go, no, 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 do them anyway. I'd rather be able to walk when I'm, when I'm 35.
1: (laughs) It's always the end goal too, right? It's, and I feel like this is something that I should definitely uh, preface. Everything. Well, how should I put this? Every time I'm coaching somebody, it's always based around what their end goal is. Like, Jeff, if you told me what's your in goal, Jeff, and your end go is, hey, I just want to become a healthier, I want to be stronger, and I want to be healthy and be able to play with my nine kids and their grandkids,
0: the 45,000 grandkids I'm going to have. 81 grandkids, 729 great grandkids. It's going to be exponential all the way down. <laughs> That's right, brother. The legacy will live forever.
1: And, you know, okay, you tell me you're in, oh, now I'm going to base, like, I, I like. for instance, I just got off a phone call, two phone calls this morning. A lot of my online coaching or my in-person coaching is now via, uh, we do them through FaceTime. So, basically, it's FaceTime me, and I coach them there, and they tra- train in their garage. Well, a couple of these guys are 45 to 50 years old. None of them squat. I don't have them doing max effort squats. We'll do some belt squats, maybe some goblet squats here and there, but we're not max effort lower back squat, low, backs, low bar squatting. There's no reason. This guy doesn't have to have a max effort squat. He's just going to be able to strong enough to be able to squat down and pick up some rocks in his lawn or whenever he's moving mulch, His lower lumbar, has got to be strong enough to support the load. That's all. So with that being said, it's not like just because you work out, you don't have to squat, bench, and deadlift. This is uh, you saw me just the last week. All I did was lift rocks overhead. I haven't bench pressed in four months and I did three twenty five for 10 yesterday. It's like the, this long as we're changing our stimulus as long as we're putting our body under stress, we're going to receive results.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Strength is all about time under tension. But what I like uh, about that is it, it, it time under tension equals strength, but not only just physically, you know, it, 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 Time under tension equals strength, you know, spiritually, mentally, you know, and that's not just, you know, weight wise. Right now we're, you know, everybody's locked down. Everybody's panicking. You're going to come out stronger from the end We're under tension
1: right now. You're right. We're under tension right now. I like to, I like to say this to people about adversity. When it comes to adversity, just as if the weights are, the more resistance the body is under, the more it grows and the stronger it becomes the more resistance and adversity you're under in your life, the more you'll grow and the stronger you'll become.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, someone asked me just the other, I think it was yesterday or maybe early, early this morning. Um, you know, when they were, you know, they heard my story about, you know, being homeless and it, it all happened after I quit my job with the general contractor and all this other, they asked if, uh, I don't think I replied back to them, but they asked me, uh, if I would still quit, the general contractor job, if I knew that it was going to lead me down through homelessness and all that. And as crazy it is to say, yeah, I would. Mm. Because I came being homeless for two years, you know, with a family, Man. there's no way in hell I would be as strong as I am today, up here and in here, if I hadn't, you know, been forced to go through something like that. I don't think anything else in the world would have ever happened to me that would have. Been that hard and demanding, and and, and how has things now um, since that demand? You
1: know, with the misses and with the kids. Like I know you're working on this book on how you're leading your home. How has that particular time in your life evolved your relationships
0: that you have right now with your family? Well, you know, at first it destroyed everything, like we talked about before. Us, you know, couldn't look my wife in the eye, couldn't look my kids in the eye. You know, self hatred and loathing and shame and all this other. But when and Hunter Drew loves this phrase, I got a case of the fuckets, you know. And I just started just trying again. I realized that everything that I made it through conditioned me to where trying didn't feel all that hard, Mm. you know. And and then I look back, I'm like, it sucked donkey balls, but I'm really glad it happened because. I would have never had the strength to start my own company, to start another company with some business partners. Uh, I wouldn't have had the confidence to uh, do any of the things that I'm doing
1: now. I'm not saying the things we do now are any easy, right? They're not easy. Everything takes work, right? How much easier is it whenever you have something to look back on in your life? That was the pinnacle of stress, anger, hatred. Yeah exactly Exactly. exactly. Like, Fuck, I can work
0: fucking all night tonight to get these orders out Are you kidding me I remember before that I was just fucking scraping and make a buck yeah and see I remembered that and that's exactly where I was leading with this a lot of people you know and I guess the guy was expecting me to go oh hell no I never want to go through it again but that's because a lot of people they tend to shy away from anything that's hard you know oh it's gonna be hard and uh, I, I wish I had never gone through that or I will never voluntarily go through this kind of struggle again And I wouldn't voluntarily be homeless again but if I knew that that path would lead where it did lead hell yeah I'd still make the same choices you know because I know that because now I have the hindsight that that suck only lasted for two years you know but people have this proclivity to just take the easy path and they don't understand that if you take, if you constantly take the easy path, the path is just going to get hard at one point. And you're not going to be strong enough to go through. Mm. Which is what you're saying now with everybody panicking about toilet paper and you know things like that. You know, the first thing that uh, the majority of the people down here uh, in the South where I live, the first thing they started doing is exactly what I did. Oh, there's a rush on the food at the grocery store. Well, let's make sure we have ammo to hunt. Let's make sure we have a garden planted. That was the first thing they did. That was, it, wasn't, it wasn't, oh my God, what are we going to do? But like, everybody's planting gardens and everybody's like making sure that, oh, you know, the 3,000 wild turkeys we have in the woods over here, you know, they'll feed everybody. We're good. You know, it wasn't a shutdown panic and, and I think it's because of the lifestyle here and in these type of communities a lot of the people here are mill workers or were mill workers or you know grew up on farms and things like that and they had to struggle and they had the uh, the hard times you know you're saying I was, I was struggling to make a buck I was making $56 a day take home swinging a sledgehammer alright because it was a work today get paid today place okay yeah. And so I'd go and I would work, get my ticket punch, take it back, and they'd cut me a check for 56 bucks. Wow. Yeah. I did that for two years. And people think I'm crazy because I say I want to do that. I would do that again. But if I hadn't gone through that, there's no way in hell I'd have rugged legacy. There's no way in hell I'd have you know a book out. There's no way in hell I'd be working on a second book. There's no way in hell my kids – uh, and I would have the relationship we have now because even yeah. though I shattered that for a while, it made our relationship better when I was willing to come to them and fix it. It's, you know, it's, I, I think
1: through such a similar perspective, man. I, I'm just so inspired listening to your story. You know, I just, I, is this, I mean, it's incredible, you know I mean? To see what you've gone through. And the perspectives that you have now, I, I talk, I I've used this word perspective, maybe a hundred times in this podcast, because it's kind of what I base my entire life off of is how I see things. And every time I'm asked questions, like, well, would you do? Would you do all those drugs? If you had a chance to go back, like how much further could you be ahead? And I always joke with this one guy in my small group. I said, if you was my dad, I'd be the fucking president already. I said, if my dad wasn't such a deadbeat. I could already been a the president. These last, I mean, whatever. And he goes, you know, we get into conversations. I said, man, I wouldn't, I couldn't change the thing. And I actually, I can't even allow my mind to go back and think about it because everything I've done has led me into the posi- the position that I am now and has led me into the person that I am now. I can't take back anything because it's going to take away from who I, per- I currently am now. And I was able to kind of recognize that because people hear about my reverse and say, oh, well, would you do something different? I, I, I don't think. I would have done any less drugs. I think I would continue to, continue to do the same amount of drugs. I would continue to live the, the, the many fights and to be in the coal mine to work all those hours because it built this grit and determination in me. Now, and I don't want to act like I'm arrogant, but it's for me when I get into a room with most anybody, uh, I, I had the honor one time and the privilege to have breakfast with Arnold Schwarzenegger for four hours, and it was the coolest thing ever, right? But I'm how did in a room- that come about? I'm at Gold's Gym in Venice Beach working out. Arnold comes in. The guy I was business partners with, who's actually the president of that company that I was talking about, We I mean, to become business partners after him. Muscle Farm had done business with Arnold Schwarzenegger. They knew each other. They linked up. Arnold invited us out to breakfast at this hotel. It'll be Arnold biked down. We sat there for four hours. But when I sat down with him, man, I'm with the dude. I read the first book I ever read. Was the Arnold Encyclopedia? That was the very first book I ever read. I'm like, this guy. I was the the reason I'm here is because of him. Like, that's why I got into fitness and kept going into fitness, reading his books. And so I'm sitting there, and when I'm sitting there with him across the table, though, when he asked, like, he was by the way, like the coolest freaking dude, man, like such a cool guy, so interested in me, like what I had going on. And he was talking all about powerlifting. And I was just like, to be around someone at this level. But after I left, I realized like, man, I wasn't choked up. I wasn't nervous. I felt the entire time that I was supposed to be across the table from this guy. Everything in my life had led me to the position that I'm at right now. I can't take fucking back nothing because it would have ruined all those special moments like on this podcast or hanging out with Arnold or whatever it looked like, it would have taken away both the glory of those moments, but also probably taken me away from those particular moments. Cause I went and had the grit, the determination, the willpower to put myself in the position I'm at right now. There's been so many times when I was working 20 hours a day in the coal mine, sorry, in the, at the gym to get my gym running or 16 hours a day in the coal mine. But really when I was working at the gym, I just wanted to fucking, there are so many times where I was so wore out, I was so tired. I was like, this is not taking off. What's going on, man? Are you sure you're doing the right move? Are you sure you're going about the right way that I wanted to quit that I could have quit, but my willpower, my determination, all my adversity prepared me for those hard moments that I could keep pushing through it, man.
0: Do you ever have these moments where you argue with yourself about quitting something, something, something that happens to me, um, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm having a bad day, you know, at work. I'm tired. I'm sore, you know, just beat up, you know, my hands, you know, I I lose feeling in my hands all the time now because I've got, um, the, the, the onstart of carpal tunnel from having to grip a hammer all freaking day. And, Mm. you know, just a lot of manual labor with my freaking hands and I'll be like, you know what? I've got vacation time. I've got, you know, this, The point system we have or how many times you can leave work before you get fired and all this other shit. I've got – I've never used them, so I can just leave whenever the hell I want, but I'll argue with myself. If you leave, you're a bitch. If Mm. you quit, you're a bitch, and I'll get mad at myself because I won't let myself quit. Does that ever happen to you? Oh, yeah. You're it's pissed off. The, You're like, why do I have to be such a fucking asshole that I won't well, I quit? Why do I got to dude
1: in the mirror? There's I'm telling you, it's probably two or three times a month in the mirror. I wake up and I'm being a fucking pussy. I look at myself like, what the fuck you thinking, dude, you didn't fucking come this far to fucking bitch out now to start fucking having these self-sabotaging thoughts. Now you fucking kidding me. You went, Oh dude, I'm always in my shit. I'm in my own ass far more than I've had anybody else in my own ass, but I also recognize that that's stuff that I have to do to keep myself in check because Just as you said earlier, everyone's running from adversity, from resistance, from discomfort. So are we. You know, we're no different from it. The choice, the difference is we don't choose to. We have the same thoughts as everybody else. You think I don't want to sit up on a fucking couch, smoke me a nice doobie and fucking drink a beer, watch the cows go by? I would love that life, but I fucking can't do it. I got to get my ass up and I got to fucking get done what I need to get done because my goals matter way more to me than my thoughts, than my feelings. If I only did things when I felt good, I fucking wouldn't do shit.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, for me, it's I I start having like these little bitch thoughts, and then I'll get mad at myself for having these bitch thoughts, and I talk myself out of not quitting, and then the other side of me is mad at myself for talking myself out of quitting. It's like, God, why did he have to bring that up? Son of a bitch, he's right. Like, I'm mad because I'm right. Yep, <laughs> you know, mental and, warfare. And it's constant, but it's just something that I think is – you know, people with your background, people with my background, or people' backgrounds similar to ours, they have those moments where they argue with themselves about wanting to quit, and then they get mad that they were wanting to quit. They argue that point, and then they're mad, like, why do I have to not allow? Why am I the kind of guy that will not allow myself to quit? Because I want to relax so bad, but this other guy is right. You know, the other guy in the mirror is right and he won't let me. And so they get pissed off with it. But I did that even to the
1: point of like my strength training where my hips hurt so bad. I'm like, why? Like, why did I, I I was never bowlegged. I'm bowlegged now. I mean, dozens of 700 pound squats and deadlifts at 180 pound body weight. It's hard on the hips. It's hard on the knees. Like, uh, it's about- I can imagine. Well, I can't imagine, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I'll take your word. For it. It's, it's yeah. hard on the body. And there's times I wake up in the morning and fucking everything hurts. And, you know, my, I had a slipped disc last year and fucking pulled 585 a couple weeks later anyways. And it's like, why do I do this? Why, why do I fucking do this to myself? And then I start realizing, Shadi, <laughs> don't be a fucking pussy. I tweeted this a while ago. I was going through my shit the other day looking, and I said, uh, this guy tells me, and it was it was a good point. You know, he said, hey, you keep training that way, dude. You ain't going to be able to walk by the time you're my age. I looked him dead in the eye, bro. I said, then I'll fucking walk. Or I said, then I'll fucking crawl. <laughs> and he's just like, you know, kind of gave me this look. And uh, Ronnie Coleman gave me a lot of perspective. This guy's had like 500 surgeries, and he's just uh, – you know, he's a – the real good bodybuilder
0: whatever oh and yeah he's ask, a beast Ronnie right. coleman is like i mean if you don't know who Ronnie coleman is get the hell out of here right they ask him though they go you know is it all worth
1: it all these surgeries and all these he's like to be the greatest bodybuilder ever lived of course it's worth it like i saw him at gold's gym that same day that i saw arnold and he looked absolutely awful and i questioned everything that day i'm not gonna lie i questioned everything i'm not now here's the deal a little big difference between me and Ronnie coleman I'm not running nearly that, you know. I'm not the running fucking 800 pound squats and deadlifts all the time. And he's on so much drugs and shit. Like there's a big difference in between the way I operate and he did. But regardless, all the amount of tension on the body over the years is going to cause some wear and tear. You know, and that's the thing with being a show pony. You can. But show pony is what I call this for your listeners, is somebody who just lives for aesthetic purposes, who looks really great with their shirt off, but they'll get their ass whipped by some farm boy in a heartbeat who has a beer gut and drinks six beers and smokes weed every day. It's just the, it's the way it goes. But also right? turn
0: around and throw 30 bales of hay on the back of a truck without, you know, breaking a sweat.
1: Yeah. Fucking righty, Will. Not a problem, dude. Down the 500 and kick your ass. That's just kind of people, you know, that's just the kind of people. That are. But the aesthetically pleasing guy looks as if he's the, the tougher or the... Whatever that might look like, and now the aesthetic lifestyle—if you—if you're—you if you're logical and you truly think through that perspective—is the route to go. You can look good, you can be healthy, you can probably live a, a good, long, hard life. But there, to me, there's no legacy behind that. You know, I—I want to—I want to leave a leg, dude. That Zach, I'm gonna do fucking strong. You know, when he shows up, he's winning. He's not losing. It doesn't matter if he was hurt last year. He's gonna show up to New York Strongest Man and fucking win. You know, when I. And that was something that I've always kind of built myself off of, no matter what my circumstances or situations were, how bad I had to hurt, I was going to show up and do it anyway.
0: Yeah, I've always looked at it because uh, every single job I've ever had outside of being like a grocery store butcher um, or when I worked for the State Department of Health be- before I was general contractor, every single job I've had has required you know strength and you know endurance and grit and all this other. But I look at it as you've got the tanks and then you've got Ferraris, you know, the Ferraris will zip by, the tanks can drag buildings, but then you've got guys in the middle who are just the four by fours. We're not the fastest, you know, we can, we can still hit 85 on the highway, but we can also pull a 5,000 pound trailer if we have to. It's, <laughs> I love you know, this analogy. I love where this is going. <laughs> becoming the four by four is what matters. You, know? you That's it. I love that. I love
1: that analogy, becoming the four by four, uh, you know, because I trade a lot of people who who are the Ferraris. Like one of my buddy Alex, for instance, uh, I make fun of him all the time for being a show pony. He's one of my clients, but I still make fun of him for having all, I make fun of guys for looking better than me. How how, how self-conscious can I be? <laughs> we we are guys. We're not going to give anybody credit for shit. Right. But I love that analogy of trying to become a four by four. You know, you want to be strong. You still want to like, at the end of the day, as I, as I talk about being stronger, like I still want to have abs. I still want to look really good. Like these are all things that I still want to, you know, I still want to have and do. But along the way, too, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to be that. Like you said, that four by four. I want to be able to fucking still be able to pull five thousand pounds and still get up to eighty five. If I gotta. Yeah. I like
0: that. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. gonna steal that one. <laughs> yeah. You can have it. I think I stole it from someone else. I don't even know. But. Uh, <laughs> You know, we're coming up on the hour mark. It uh, would have been a lot sooner, but we couldn't get your audio to work. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, before we go, uh, what has, if you could sum it all up between starting off in, you know, what we'll call the starting point, you know, your coal mining job. Starting off there, eventually getting to where you own and operate Iron Valley Barbell. Hitting the records that you've hit with your lifts and being a strong man. Out of all of that, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned through all of that, that led you to where you are today that you can share with the guys listening who are on a similar kind of path? The Biggest
1: lesson, biggest lesson I've learned from, both the so the coal mine, just a little backstory. So the coal mining, twelve hours a day. I would get out of the coal mines, and I'd have I'd be starving, you know, having eight all day, basically, barely getting any lunch. i get I get two junior bacon cheeseburgers and I head right to the gym and I'd start working out anyways. I was disciplined and I was committed. Uh, when it came to opening the gym, I'd work sixteen to twenty hours a day. So my lifts went down a ton. I was on my way, I squatted seven twenty in the gym and 7.30 was the all-time world record at my weight. I was 10 pounds away right before I opened the gym. I said, once i open at my gym, I'll be able to hit right there. I didn't account for all the hours I had to put in, and my lift went down. But I kept going, kept grinding, I kept pushing. I didn't rely on motivation at that time. I kept going to the gym and kept training hard. I stayed disciplined. And, you know, when it came to, to strongman training, I switched from powerlifting into strongman, so – when I went from powerlifting to strongman, I sucked at a lot of the exercises. Like I sucked at carrying things that are very heavy, very fast. And I was unmotivated because my knees always hurt because I turned myself bow legged over all the years of powerlifting. So, you know, I'm in this current process of now reframing my structure to be even better than I can be a strongman. And there's so many mornings that I wake up that I'm just not motivated. I have no motivation to do anything. And people go, oh,
0: how
1: do you stay say motivated? How do you just stay so motivated to go to the gym all the time? And I want to tell all those people through all this time of you know, you're gonna go have ups and downs in your life, and through every different endeavor you go on, you're gonna have ups and downs. And if you constantly rely on motivation, you're constantly gonna fail. You can't be motivated, you've got to be committed. And when it comes to commitment, that goes down to self-integrity. You have to have integrity. If you say you're gonna do something, you have to be a man of character and a man of integrity. If I say I'm gonna open this gym, That's my word. That's all I have. I stand behind my word. So it's not to rely on motivation. It's to rely
0: on commitment. I like that. I think that goes into uh, what we were just talking about earlier, and it's a perfect spot to wrap it um, about, you know, you argue with yourself when you have the moments of weakness, but you gave yourself your word, and a man's word is really all he has. So if you're committed to doing it, you'll just do it, whether it sucks or not. Definitely. Yeah. I like that. Love it, bro.
1: Thanks for having me on the podcast, dude. I'm glad that we we're actually finally able to connect, to make this happen. Yeah, man. We're gonna have to do it again sometime. Definitely, dude. This is I feel like we have plenty of things to talk about. Kind of feel like we just scratched the surface on a few things today. Yeah, probably.
0: Uh <laughs> I was actually surprised to see how similar our backgrounds were. Uh cause this is the first time we've ever actually talked, you know, outside of text messaging. Yeah. Yeah. And we just started texting just recently.
1: Yeah. But I have been following you on social media. I know we've been following each other on social media, but I like all this stuff you're about. As soon as I actually found you on social media, I was like kind of surprised. I'm like, oh, I like this little side of Twitter. Um, Because, you know, a lot of my side of Twitter is just just fitness guys. And I saw you kind of come into that mix of this little corner. I'm like, oh, sweet. I like this guy a lot. And, you know, I could tell from the first time that uh, I saw your stuff and everything you're about. I'm like, yeah, we drive together good. Hey, I dig
0: it, brother. (laughs) Oh, yeah, brother. Uh, for those of you watching for those of you listening uh if you're watching on youtube make sure you hit like subscribe leave a comment um if you're listening on apple google play stitcher spotify any of these uh platforms leave a review they really help uh help get the message out share the episode um if you want to connect with zach you can do that uh there'll be a some show notes and some links where you can find him. He also has his own podcast. It's like a mini podcast, and I like it. Thanks, bro. Yeah, I like it. It's uh the Zach Hummel Show. Uh, but um those those will be in the show notes and also where you can find and connect with him on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, this is the 22nd episode of the Rugged Legacy podcast, and this is going to be Jeff and Zach signing off. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Rugged Legacy podcast. I hope you've been enjoying the content on all of the episodes, especially this one here. If you'd like to become a contributor and support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash ruggedlegacy and click on the support icon. Everyone wants to rise from the ashes, but very few are willing to set themselves on fire. This has been a Rugged Legacy production.